Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2419. Today we're going to get creative, so be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today, we are going to be inspired by some wonderful design. I'm in Greenville, South Carolina, with a very special guest by the name of Neil Ferrier. Neil, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear? And are you ready to release the clutch? I am ready to pedal down. Hi, Mark. All right. Good to see you. Hey, before I start, and before we get into your, I really love what you're doing. It's just so exciting for me being a, a designer from way back. What's one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Neil? Uh, well, I own an industrial design firm, but I'm actually a mechanical engineer. I'm kind of terrible at design. Oh, um, so interesting. I think that's probably something I don't share as much. <laughs> yes. So I'm an engineer by by degree, but I own an ID firm. Okay, now this is quite interesting to me because my wife, when we met in college, she she studied mechanical engineering, got a degree in that, ended up going into the field of civil engineering. My son studied industrial design and works in that field. My father was an architect. And so the question I have for you is mechanical design engineers and creative industrial design, kind of left brain, right brain thing. Do you have some inner turmoil going on in your head all the time? <laughs> uh, yeah, you could probably ask a therapist about that for, for hours on end. But um, I do. Uh, in fact, the two things that I was going to go to university for was either art school or engineering. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably one of my sort of superpowers and also my biggest pains is that I have that direct split. You know, I wasn't a very good engineer from a standpoint of, you know, analytical numbers based stuff, mm -hmm. just crunching away at it. Yep. But I also didn't, you know, have that ability to fully dive off into the creative land of a of a designer either. Um, it is a definite sort of hybrid situation. I'm a very mischievous, creative engineer uh, rather than a good one. <laughs> well, I love it. I think that's awesome. You know, my wife and my dad used to have all these fun banters and she would always say, you know, you architects are the guys that work with rubber rulers. Yeah. You design stuff that we engineers have to figure out can really be made. And they used to laugh all the time about that. But I, I kind of get it having lived in the world of both. And my wife is, you know, a math whiz. She loves to do math puzzles for fun. I just look at it and my skin starts to crawl. Uh, not my thing, but uh, that's very interesting. Well, we will dive deeper into what you're doing here, so allow me to introduce you properly. Neil Ferrier is the founder and CEO of Discommon. Now I'm starting to understand the name of the company, an industrial and design manufacturing firm. Some say he has gasoline in his veins. His love for analog vehicles began in earnest when he was a teenager, years after his dad purchased a BMW Z3 M Coupe. I love those cars. Later in life, as Neil started down the entrepreneurial path with the founding of his industrial design and manufacturing firm, he purchased a Z3 M Coupe uh, as for his own as a nod to the car that started it all. Neil's passion for cars bleeds through to all aspects of his life, including his work. A Discommon proudly pulls inspiration from the world of cars. In addition to analog vehicles, Neil has a love for analog watches, particularly Tag Hoya, and so it was only natural that his entrepreneurial endeavors took the path of watchmaking to some point. And in 2019, he founded Block, B-L-O-K, a Swiss 
made watch company for kids. You are one creative guy. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors. So please give them a little love and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Neil, we are back. So I want you to talk a little bit about the path that brought you to creating Discom. And and then we'll dive into some of the very cool, unique projects. I'll make sure on your show notes page I put a link. But Discommon, just as it's spelled, just as it sounds, .com is a spectacular site for you listeners. And if you love very creative things, some of which are very car related. Uh, I think you're going to spend a little time on this website like I do. But let's go back in time first and bring us from the past to the current. Sure. Well, it's funny you mentioned the bendy ruler thing. <laughs> that really resonates with me. So my first career was at Oakley, the sunglass company. I was there for 11 years and I worked in research and development and what was called advanced product development there. And our job was to make stuff real. So somewhat shortening, you know, 11 years of traveling the world <laughs> yeah. and, and and figuring out technologies from die casting to injection molding to, you know, metal injection molding to titanium forging, all sorts of different things that actually can be involved in tiny sunglasses. Um, you know, I developed a natural kind of passion for making stuff into a real thing. And the bendy ruler is a real challenge in the world of industrial design because quite often um, the units of a project can be disassociated in that an ID firm gets to do a design and hand it off to a client to rapturous applause and then be gone. And that design then goes to the product development group. And at points in time, there is the reaction of like, yo, you're kidding. Like, I mean, there's no space <laughs> for this thing that has this. to go in here. Yeah. When I started freelancing sort of at the end of my tenure at Oakley, um, I was mostly just doing development of things. I was good at making stuff real. So I would take on crazy projects and help bring them to reality. And at some point a year in, I was so fed up of getting things that design firms were getting paid, you know, a couple hundred grand for. And the output was useless to me. And I was essentially the villain in that I couldn't make it. 
And that was the first time of moving towards this whole like, hold on, I've got this deluge of sort of creative ideas that are just getting pent up and shunned away. I just need to get my own designer to get this stuff out of my head. <laughs> uh, and uh, I basically just woke up one day and decided to say that I was a design firm instead of a product development consultancy. And I freelanced in a, an ex-Oakley guy to do the first project. Um, but that meant and this carries on today that one of our sort of differentiators is, you know, an engineer steering mm -hmm. means that anything, even at our earliest concept stage, we are talking about how it becomes real. Um, and that's really cool because sometimes it can become a very limiting factor later on in the process where you have to make drastic design changes if you haven't been considering it uh, since step one. Um, so it's a real passion for us and it actually makes you know all the, the, the later on work much easier because we started thinking about it step one. Well, you start to learn now why some cars end up being so bad looking, you know? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you look yeah, at yeah. the concept cars that come out and all of us car folks go, oh man, I can't wait to see that on the road. And then when they are done, you kind of, you end up with the Pontiac Aztec and you go, what? What happened? Yeah, it's somewhat, it's somewhat painful. I, I, the most recent one to date that I think actually eschewed that and just one is the, the new Toyota Prius cracks me up. It looks phenomenal. <laughs> And somehow they managed to basically bring, you know, what should have been the dullest car on the road. They've managed to bring it to, to life looking like the concept car. And I was, I was so pleasantly surprised, you know, in the exact. Toyota, I think, is a different kind of design firm. And I just had a guest on last week where we talked a bit about Toyota as related to what's happening in the EV market and how cars aren't selling. And that's a whole yep. another story. However, Toyota, I mean, the history of that company, and I've never had a Toyota. Uh, my wife had one, actually. Uh, it was a Celica GT when we first met, but yeah, um, cool. yeah very cool car. Uh, maybe that's part of what drew me, drew me to her at the beginning. Oh, well, don't tell her that. She might be upset. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, I want to talk a bit more about Discommon because I love design. My history goes back uh, with design, having a wife who's an engineer, a father's an architect, and like I said, a son, and a daughter-in-law who's creative as well. Design is a big part of my life. In fact, I don't even like to buy things unless they first look good. The old uh, idea of form follows function kind of thing. So could you talk a little bit more about the many projects you guys do? Because you talked about integrating cars into some of the projects you do, but I really enjoyed going through your website and looking at some of the things that you've created for companies that I, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. So yeah, yeah. tell us more about Discommon. Well, what, you know, since you like design, we're very clear on sort of what our design language is. Now, we don't always design to our design language because you might be working with, you know, we've, we just finished a 13-month project with Under Armour um, on sneakers. We don't get to be discommon design language in that. You know, we fit into Under Armour's world and what they're wanting to achieve. But if you look at ours, you know, my love of cars shows through um, very clearly from something that, you know, all especially, you know, Art Center and the other, you know, iconic kind of ID schools bring is a surface tension. One of the things that, you know, a lot of great car designers and, and car firms do very well is this surface tension um, all over the body of the car. And, and what it does is the design isn't loud. It's not ostentatious. It's not shouting. But for somebody that understands um, this very sort of subtle manipulation, if you imagine the hood of an Aston Martin, for instance, mm -hmm. and that sort of muscular crease that you could imagine following up the hood of a, a V12 Vantage or something like that, that crease isn't a huge and loud design element, but the work that went into creating the surfaces that ever so slightly blend and flow into that little peak that end up catching the light is uh, 
I term it a bone line. I don't know if that's an accurate term, but it's like in the human body where a bone is pushing through a surface, like um, you know, a collarbone, especially on a female, if it's a little bit more prominent, or a hip bone or something like that. When there looks to be a substructure, um, we adore that and we, we apply that wherever we can. Now, the really cool functional element of that is that if you imagine a vehicle, um, you basically have three touch points, your, your, your butt, four, I suppose, your butt, the shifter, if you're driving a manual, uh, steering wheel and the pedals. And those are really important things because that's your main interaction with your car for your entire life of owning it. And like steering wheels should feel great and shift knobs should have a good ridge on them that your fingertips can, you know, reach under and stuff like that. And these little subtle bone lines really allow the the ergonomics to create beautiful fit where things start to feel natural in your hand. And you'll see that it wasn't ever, I think, by, it was never a plan, but a lot of the output that we've done is sort of handheld. You know, it's something the size of where your your fingertips work with it in some manner. There's a publicly traded medical company called Butterfly that we, I mean, my goodness, we might be one of their longest standing employees. I say that in parenthesis, <laughs> but, you know, we watched them go from 50 employees to 500. Wow. But we've done their devices, their accessories, you know, everything from designing kind of the snap fits of when it's a, a handheld ultrasound device. So obviously holding it and the four or five different ways that a doctor can manipulate or hold an ultrasound device was incredibly important to learn, to find those ridges, to stop that thing from slipping, all of that type of stuff. But we also got to do their accessories program where like there's a holster that makes a doctor feel like he's, you know, in Star Trek where you can snap (laughs) this thing down in and those feels like figuring out how to create a surface on the body of the device that allows it to snap and pop into place is awesome. So we've really, we've wandered all over from sneakers to medical to the watch world. Um, We do play a little bit in automotive, not obviously in the vehicle design itself, but in accessories for them. And every now and then, and it actually ended up stemming from a bespoke commission that we took to make a car-based table. We do these large architectural things, and that has somewhat spiraled out of control in the last five years. <laughs> yeah, um, be careful, careful of your what you want to do. You might just get it right. Yeah, no kidding. So a family that we originally made a little table for that had their Lamborghini Miura kind of emerging out of it like a speed form. Um, they are part of the ownership group of the Peninsula Hotels, oh, yeah. and they've become dear friends. So what started uh, with a small car-based table that had a speed form of their Mura emerging from it began a insane project with this family to develop what has now been installed in London, a 48-foot-long CNC machined aluminum Concorde, like, a, like an airplane speed form. It's in the ceiling of a new hotel. 48 feet long? Oh, my gosh. Wow. It was five years. It almost broke the company. A baptism is not even a remotely appropriate word of you know baptism by fire, but uh, but also somewhat of a testament to my team where I, I try to have this like mantra where um, there's not really any problem that's too big. Uh, you know, a problem is just a, a giant problem is just a series of smaller problems that need to be solved beautifully. Well said. And that if you keep that mantra, it makes a lot of things less overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was just watching a movie that the actor was saying that to somebody. They had some overwhelming situation. He said, we work the problems one at a time through the problem. Yeah. yeah, instead of looking at it as a big picture. You know, as a designer, a lot of times, and when I was doing a lot of design work, people would always say, where do you come up with these ideas? What would be, in your world, a driving inspiration for you? What influences you as a designer when you go into a project? Because you guys work on so many different things. Yeah. How would you describe that to somebody? You know, 
So the thing might be, Mark, that maybe that's the bit that I can't describe because maybe <laughs> yeah. that maybe that's the juice, you know, that makes it that makes it good. Um, I have. You know, I grew up tormented by ADHD, was very late in the diagnosis of it, was then scared to medicate it because I thought it might kill my creativity. But I get a gleeful high when there's a new client because I disappear off into this imaginative land of wondering who they are, what makes them tick, who their customers are, how we could create joy. What's the mischief? Man, I love that these guys are super serious. We're going to mess with them so badly when they realize <laughs> that you know we're mischievous and we can bring something fun in. And, and really just having that what if mentality, mm-hmm. it could seem to new people a little bit renegade, a little bit rogue, a little bit actually untrustworthy. But if you back it with that Jekyll and Hyde side of the calm engineer that knows how to get shit done, um, then you know once we've had the really fun mischievous part we then get to to calm that down into making it reality um and it it was really important for us to do projects that are as grand as the scale of the concord um because it gives us that sort of let's call it that resume of no you can trust us look it's hanging from the ceiling in in london right (laughs) we did it yeah Um, we can we can walk you this path safely so i mean the inspiration comes all i remember one of the favorite things we did it's never come to market but it was a set of steak knives and i used um a freelance yacht designer to do them with me, his name is David, where I just said, pen the hull of a yacht and we'll turn it into a steak knife. Um, mm-hmm. Because you know, if you imagine a yacht, like you look at most of the pictures of them on a laptop screen. So the yacht is basically the, the size of a handle anyway. Right. Yeah. And this complete sort of agnostic care of, or just not caring for scale. Um, you know, I love imagining gi- tiny things giant or giant things tiny. And that allows an awful lot of inspiration of different scales and shapes that, that you might not necessarily play with. Wow. You get me excited here, dude. Um, <laughs> taking me back to some some fun things that I've done in my past, but you guys take it to an entirely new level. And in a way, we talk about creating things as fun and joyful. However, they do come with some challenges, and you touched on some of this before, but what would be uh, a big challenge that you faced, but you overcame it, and looking back now, you're kind of glad that you had to deal with the challenging part because it taught you some really valuable lessons. <laughs> I think we could talk about this for hours. Yeah, I mean, I'll just give you one. It was the biggest financial screw up that we had, which was um, I trusted a project manager in Asia. Um, he still works for us. He's brilliant. Um, but he missed and, and I don't get to blame him because I run the ship. So it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed controlling the torque spec on a little screw on that holster that I mentioned for the company Butterfly. Um, and they had one holster the screw backed out of and the device fell on the ground and it broke um and that's a two and a half thousand dollar device and um i would i would say this with a warm smile now because it's over but they overreacted and they 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 did a full sort of stop sale on it and because it's you know an fda sort of linked device we basically ended up recalling every single holster and we had to rebuild them and set a whole plan in place with with you know documented torque specs for every single one and honestly you know that that younger version of us we just entered it naively like hey you're just screwing this together it'll be fine it was an accessory you know, there was a belt clip for all intents and purposes, but that cost a lot of money, um, and that was that was terrifying for a younger company. I was like, you know, this this megalith of a of a medical company could sue us, um, and so you know, you learn from everything. Finally, we're about to start making accessories for them again, and this time I go into it much more confidently of like, well, the good news is we can't fail. I mean, you're not allowed to fail twice, so right. Right. It, it just teaches you to you're just continually you're never actually an expert. You're just more and more experienced because you've screwed up more and more things. You know? 
a nice way to put it. Uh, but it teaches you to ask more questions, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, we had to, the Concord that, that's installed, we had to quote that probably a year and a half before we'd even engineered it, you know, just because of the timeline of the project. Um, and I mean, I had no idea the structural engineer cost $75,000 to work on it with us. I had think I had budgeted for us. I think I'd budgeted 20 or 25, something like yeah. that. But you just, right, I'm not going to make that mistake again. You know, you just keep chalking them up and you just become a sharper and sharper tool. Right. Well, another, you're using some, some great metaphors here. When we look at bucket list items, I mean, you guys have designed so many cool things. Is there something on your bucket list that you think, man, I would love to do a project like this? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, giggling. Because it's, it's bloody painful ones because they haven't happened yet and right. they've been so close a couple of times. I really want to do a power tool. Um, one of my most sort of fascinating like kind of inspirations was I have this real aversion to what we call mediocrity. Like I think it's completely unacceptable that stuff breaks now within, you know, five years. Oh, it changed. Everything's... Yeah. Um, like if you look at our, like we make duffel, we, we make and sell products as well, just common goods. And like we make a duffel bag, it's 1100 bucks. Well, it's 1100 bucks because it took us four years to be okay with all of the quality <laughs> and all of the elements of it. Because how cool if a dang leather bag outlives me, you know? Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, it goes back to the the thing that so many things made today end up being trash so quickly. And we talk about the, the world's problems with trash. Yeah. And I just pick plastics that end up in the oceans, right? And just all this crap that people buy that is just junk. Yep. Yeah. So I, I love the concept. <laughs> well, I got two other fun ones. That, that one stemmed off the fact that my dad had like a like a cable powered Black & Decker drill, I think from the 70s and it still worked. It might still work today. It might be his favorite power tool. I still have you my know, dad's. Yeah. It, it was like a cast, you know, it's like a cast metal body. Yes. I mean, it thing is yeah. indestructible. Um, that, if you gave me carte blanche and you, you know, I sold a company for 50 million bucks and I was wandering around confused, I would open <laughs> up America's best wood shop um, and I would make furniture all day long. I would adore to make gorgeous wooden furniture. Ah, I've nice. not had a chance to bring furniture to life yet. And the third one, super random, I want to do an airline seat. I fly a lot. And oh, I think it's yeah. so cool to do like a business class little like um like a you know a little world like like right. give a little capsule to somebody. Um oh, so yeah. those are those are three that I aspire to getting. Well, I have a feeling all that's going to happen. I have no doubt. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. <laughs> so being a car guy, I would love for you to share a special vehicle story and um you know I know of uh, a little bit about you, uh, some things you've got some cool cars in your garage and they they that's why you, we came together yep. here, but is there one special vehicle in your past that really stands out? I, I mean, the, the, the Z3M Coupe, uh, you know, it holds uh, um, like the scent. It's the car that, you know, could take me to the edge of tears in a sense, you know, like coming home from <laughs> university. My dad used to drive to the bottom of the golf practice range where we lived in, in Scotland and it was an almost closed road. It was the length of the driving range and I would get off the bus coming back from university and he would let me, you know, I could get into third gear basically in that car by the end of the driving range and he'd let me drive it. But you couldn't get insured on cars like that in Scotland when you were 17, 18. Um, I had a 1.3 litre Skoda, um, so it was decidedly less exciting. But, you know, it, it holds the captive memories chasing the the bus to rugby games when i was too late in the morning my dad would rip some of the you know iconic back roads um i have another memory of driving that 1.3 liter skoda when and he's now a friend of mine dario Franchitti. um actually passed me in his f40 uh sideways with a tire on the grass um oh in a place called Glen Devon in Scotland. And and we since got to relive it. And I told him about it, you know, when I was 17 or 18. Um, 
I think I'd be remiss not to say that you know there is a vehicle sitting 20 feet from me in our building that looks ostensibly like a 1960s Gurney Eagle F1 car. And that was a multi-year project with a dear friend where I decided that I wanted to make it road legal. And I, I do drive it now. What? So that's probably the that's probably the wildest thing. Oh my gosh. You know, I'll tell you, uh, my old business partner bought Dan Gurney's very first Eagle F1 car. Oh, get out. Yeah, oh my and I uh, had it restored because it had been sitting in a museum in England for a long time and actually ran it a few times, ran it in Monaco and some other places in the historic uh, GPs that they have there. And it's set parked in his office. It may, may still be there for all I know. I don't know. I think he tried to sell it last summer, but it didn't sell at uh, one of the auctions. So you made this thing street legal? Oh my God. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't. You, you could do an entire podcast on this thing, so I'll keep yeah. it short. <laughs> uh, there's a guy, Joe Scarbo. He owns a company called Scarbo Performance in Lake Forest. California and he fairly silently but you know he engineered all of Ken Block's cars um he does a lot of touring car stuff nice. um the Arcieros like the off-road trucks stuff like that um he worked with the I've blanked on the name so I'll just leave it I can't remember but he, he is a race car engineer ch- chassis designer you know he's the guy that gets stuff done and he built himself an homage to a 67 Ferrari F1 car um, and I helped do the exhaust work on it with Magnaflow, where we managed to do this bundle of snakes, you know, headers oh, that were within nice. a 32nd of an inch to equal length. And I knew I always wanted to do one, um, but I knew I, my mischief level, it, I was never going to just have it as a track car. It needed to be street legal. Well, it was never going to happen in California, but here we are in Greenville, South Carolina, and that seemed a little bit more achievable. <laughs> um so serendipitously, I had this harebrained plan to actually take a Factory 5 Cobra chassis, and we were going to design a body around it. Um, and I approached Joe about helping me get all that sheet metal done. And he said, listen, mate, I'm going to I'm going to really mess you up, but I've got a chassis sitting here for one of the F1 cars. A guy's bailing from it for divorce. Um, do you want to do something? And I just, you know, I won't, I won't cuss on your podcast, but it <laughs> was it's yeah. a, oh man, moment, quite, you know. Quite bitching, quite bitching. We'll yeah. say that. <laughs> Um, so it's not, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it an homage, you can call it a kit car. I mean, it's a little further than a kit car. It's fully hand-beaten aluminum bodies. It's wow. got a Motec ECU. Um, we had to put traction control in it because it's a death machine. It's got three different power bands, um, Porsche transmission. And then we actually 3D scanned three different motors for it, uh, a BMW V10, the V8 from a Ferrari 355. And I ended up actually being completely at peace with putting an LS3 in it because now all I do is change the oil. Like it's, yeah. I can drive as hard as I want and nothing ever happens, you know? Um, <laughs> and the full oh length make it rip, which was, which was fun. So, wow. Well, yeah, yeah. that's probably the nuttiest story, but there are, there are other fun, fun vehicles. I just, I have a mental limit. You know, I haven't sold a company. I need to sell a company one day. Then we can have some real fun. <laughs> well, yeah, I hear you. That would be really, really cool. Well, for you listeners, just a couple uh, automotive icons that have passed through uh, this gentleman's hands. An Alfa Romeo GTV. Love those things. I have a friend that raced a GTA uh, that was a old yeah, great car. race car. Atlantia Delta that you restored. There's another iconic design. Yeah, still got that one. That one's, that's a weapon. Yep. Oh, okay. Uh, a GT4 RS. Be still my heart. Love those things. Uh, very cool. I have a friend here locally that just got his. Um, and of course, that uh, street legal 60s uh, homage to Dan Agurney's Eagle Cars. I love it. So this takes us to the next question, which I think things are going to get even crazier here. I like to be a bit of a car psychologist. So if you were reincarnated, pun intended, manifest as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Um, I Okay, I'll give you a cliched answer in that uh, because it's become so 
front and center of the public eye, but I'd like to say I would have told you this before it became cool, but I probably would have been a Dakar 911. Like <laughs> I probably would have been a like a something low-key and subtle that Tuttle um, had engineered in the UK. Um, and, you know, I'd have been a sleeper. Like I could have been calm and engineering and just nice, but um, I also could have fled the apocalypse if I needed to. <laughs> um, I think I think that would be fitting for me. That, that feels right. Some kind of, my work experience in, in college was at ProDrive doing strip and build on the rally cars so nice. just to, to be able to see what a real engineered rally car can do is is pretty mind-blowing you know and it gives you this sort of feeling of you know uh, well for as a design firm we say that we we take what if and we make it real well that's kind of what like a, an all-purpose rally car does you know you can kind of do anything in it right so i think that's a fair analogy yeah oh i think you did a great job there and of course you've probably seen uh, the last two or three that have sold on bring a trailer uh, for just nutty numbers. Yeah, let's just bank that one in the book of probably should have um, fought and begged for an allocation and didn't, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff going on there at Porsche. So let's talk about a great book. Is there a book you'd like to share with others? Do you know, um, I'm almost uh, I'm almost embarrassed in that book-wise for me, I literally read – I'm not going to call it junk, but I read books to disappear. Um, That's what they're for sometimes. It is, but I, I I always feel so guilty surrounded by people that read you know deep books on design and business philosophy and you know investing strategy and all that kind of stuff. And I read things about spies, you know, they're just like Vince Flynn novels and stuff like that. But I read them <laughs> on airplanes to just shut down. One one of the hardest things I think is I don't think I was meant to be an entrepreneur. You know, there are some people that are born to be entrepreneurs. It's what they want to do, and they suck in data. They suck in anything from advertising strategy to marketing to business strategy, you know, everything. Um, I did it because I just didn't want to be managed by somebody else. <laughs> And so one of my biggest demons is just stilling my mind. And it's, it's why I enjoy driving hard. It's why I enjoy mountain biking hard. And it's why I enjoy reading dumb spy novels because I get to uh, disappear and check out. So, well, uh, I'll tell you, it's funny. Uh, my wife is a just rabid reader and she she's really gotten into uh, listening to books. And she's been using, you know, you can sometimes with these books, you can pick people who are telling you the story and she lately of yeah. late is really into these scottish storytellers ah, brilliant and so now she's saying some scottish gibberish to me that you get oh, that's your, awful get funny freaking 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 i'm like what what did she just say and she just loves it she just laughs and so listening to you and then she's had me listen to a few of her uh bits and, and pieces of her books um yeah she's heavy into that right now so. Well, I sadly say y'all now because I've lived in Greenville for long enough. So well, I've, I've got go. a pretty broken Scottish accent. It's so. easy to pick up for sure. So let's go on the ultimate drive before I let you go today. I like to be a, a bit of an enabler. I'm going to park anything in your garage. You can take it anywhere. But here's the key. You can take anybody with you, including somebody who's no longer with us, if you'd like, from the past. Uh, that makes for an interesting a co-pilot or pilot if you want them at the wheel. So what does the ultimate drive look like for a very creative guy like you, Neil? Um, I've been fortunate to spend a good amount of time in Italy, and while Scotland's roads, I still believe, are second to none. You know, they're yes. also, <laughs> yeah, they're in a way they're less of a treat. Ah, that's the wrong word, but you know, they're they're familiar, they're home. Um, and I've spent a lot of time working and with dear friends in Italy, and there's an exoticness to some of the Italian roads up in the Dolomites that you know you just don't really get much grander than that. Um, my son is six, and he is car manic. He judges humans off of like the top speed of what their car does. <laughs> um, 
like as to whether you're worthy to talk to or not. Um, <laughs> so I really I can't wait for a drive with him when he's you know a little, yeah. little bit older when I get to show him parts of the world that I've seen. Um, my mom passed away before. I was, I don't know if you're ever a good driver, but let's say before I was dynamically very comfortable in a car. Mm -hmm. And my gosh, my mom had a great, like, um, uh, you know, scared scream, like a fun scared scream. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, I think, you know, to get that piece of time with her where I could have probably terrified her on an amazing Scottish road would have, sure. would have been a joy that, that I'll probably forever miss. Very nice. So what kind of car would you like to be in? At least for, I mean, you're, you're very eclectic in your, your love for cars, but if we were just going to pick one today that I could park in your driveway, and don't worry about the cost because I'm going to foot the bill. Um, you know, I, I'm, I, I have a giant neon sign, um, and it's probably Dario's fault, but I have a giant neon sign in the office that just says, need money for F40. <laughs> um, the F50 is arguably, I think, and I would, I would fight this to the death. We, I drove one as a chase car in the middle of Miglia. The F50 is a far dynamically superior car, but the F40 has my heart. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, a, it's the sum of its parts, and most of those parts are crap, but somehow they all work together. Well, yeah, it's a race car for the road. I got to drive one once, and I, yeah, it's a, it's a race car. It's a race car for the street. For sure. Yeah, that that or um, one of my weird absolute lusts right now is just a, a manual E46 M3, um, uh, one that my my dad also had um, when I was growing up, and I never really got to drive it po properly. So, um, you know, if you gave me Scotland with my mum, I'd probably take the E46 M3 manual. <laughs> yeah. Your son, it'd have to be the Ferrari uh, with his yes. taste in high speed. Correct. Well, I've got an E46 M3 I bought back in 05. I still have it. Just a delightful car. It's just one of those cars that Every time I get in, I go, I, I should never let this go. It's just. Oh, it's a peak engine. It really is. It does everything. Yeah, you hit that. My son, when he was younger, because I had the first first ones that came out for three years, sold it to buy a 993 Porsche. And then commuting in that wasn't as much fun as I thought yeah. it would be. Went back to the M3. And my son used to love to say, Dad, push the sport button. Push the sport button. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, great fun stuff. Well, you've taken us on a wonderful ride. I could talk with you forever. I wondered if you could leave us with some parting words of wisdom or inspiration for our listeners today? Oh my goodness. Um, I would say that, you know, I've, I've had a, a great joy so far in my career of getting to see ideas come to reality. And I've got a lot of friends who run very normal nine to fives and they, I see them exist on autopilot. Um, and I think I would encourage anybody around me to dream of something and have the um, excitement of of seeing that thing become a reality. From that being a patio to a <laughs> retaining wall to you know deciding that you want to design a lake house. But I think you know allowing um, allowing the childlike imaginative state out you know to create something um, has brought me an awful lot of joy. Ah, well said, for sure. And I love the idea that it doesn't have to be anything giant or grand. It could be something very small as a rock garden. Yep, yep. Just just a just a little thing that embodies you. That would be that's a that's a cool treat. I love it. It's just great. How can people learn more about you and Discommon? We are thoroughly active on Instagram, so it's just at Discommon. Um I still try to manage it and talk to everybody and, and we, we post a lot on there. Um and then Discommon.com is the design and manufacturing firm. Discommon goods um are our sort of meticulously executed pieces that we do for sale. Yeah, absolutely. Uh listeners, go check these guys out. Uh they're gonna blow you away. You're gonna be there a while and uh bring your checkbook because you're gonna want to buy some stuff as well. Yeah, it's not it's not the it's not the most <laughs> painless uh place, that's for sure. Well good things uh should have a little pain attached yeah. to them. Uh, you know, as uh Bruce Meyer, who's a, a friend of mine, a past guest here, he always says buy the best and cry once. 
Yep, uh, yep, yep. I, I like his ideas. I also want to do a shout out. Thank you to Alexandra Brigham at Brigham Media for introducing me to Neil today. Alexandra, thank you very much. Neil, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing your creativity and inspiration. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Great fun. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Here at Cars Yeah, it's all about inspiration. And our charity of choice is TechForce Foundation, where it's all about making a positive difference in young people's lives. TechForce helps young adults discover their talents and passions for all things automotive, with a mission of helping students develop a career as a professional technician. TechForce awards nearly $2 million in scholarships every year for students to pursue technical education and they support hands-on activities, events, and mentorships across the country, working to change the outdated perceptions of these careers. Autotechs are in high demand, but the supply of qualified technicians is critically short. They need your help to fuel their mission. Learn more and join me in supporting them at techforce.org. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah! Yeah!